I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. Welcome back to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast put on by the good, kind, sexy folks at Broad Digital Consulting. I'm Alan, a person whose meme was shared by Miss Giggles on Instagram last week and project manager to the stars. I'm Kaylee, the girlfriend of that guy you saw on TikTok who talked to an old lady at a dispensary and the senior strategist of all things digital and creative. And my name is Danielle, and I am your chief broad in residence. Uh, it feels good to be back, y'all. Like, it's been a... We're happy to have you back. I appreciate that. It's been a couple of few weeks since I've been here. It's uh, it's good to be home. I, wa- I do wonder if anybody has started any fan theories that maybe we had, like, a terrible falling out, and I quit the show, but now I'm back, and we all hate each other, or something like that. I don't know. It's yeah. fine. Um, I one. did... <laughs> I did have a friend uh, bring up that the uh, Kaylee and Alan episodes bring a uh, unique sort of chaotic energy to the world. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, as a listener myself, I just got done listening to your most recent one. Uh, I do love those episodes. So so thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We are joined here today by an incredibly special guest and we are very excited about Uh, for reasons that will become clear. I think it's important to point out that we can't actually use her birth name as in the name that was given to her at birth. Uh, You'll get a little bit more on that later, but today our topic centers uh, not just our guest story, who she is, where she's been, and what she's doing right now, but the bigger conversation around how brands engage and work with human beings as brand representatives. We're going to talk about when brand engagement with human representatives or influencers really crosses an ethical line, uh, even if it's perfectly legal. And we'll talk about the uh, dark side of this idea that every human being is also a uh, brand. For those of you not watching, I used air quotes there. Uh, Whether brands should be allowed to effectively purchase a human's name or presence or likeness and ultimately what we should be doing about it, especially, you know, as influencer marketing is really blown up in this space, uh, what should we be doing about it as brands, as businesses from a business and marketing perspective, but also as as consumers, since I know uh, many of our listeners are on that consumer side and listen to us to learn how to be more responsible consumers and more responsible digital citizens. So without any further buildup, I would like to introduce our guest, past recurring presence in the wedding reality television world, current owner and chief inspiration officer of She Is Cheval, a 501c3 fashion brand committed to responsible capitalism and social impact, and founder of the A Girl You Might Know Foundation. Welcome, Cheval, to our humble pod. Yay! Yay. <laughs> so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so I know that we are all eager to dig into the subject matter and talk about the problem, right? Uh, but more importantly, the solutions to brand what what I'm I feel like is brand overreach in this specific area. But I do want to give you some time, Cheval, to just briefly address kind of what brought you here not necessarily to this pod, but like to this spot where you're having these conversations as Cheval in the first place. Could you give our listeners a little bit of background about your story? Absolutely. At this point, I feel I've become a bit of a cautionary tale for a lot of artists, creators, designers, young entrepreneurs. Uh, But ultimately, I got my start in wedding dress designing, and I had signed a an employment agreement when I was 25 without a lawyer. And while I would consider myself pretty well educated and and equipped with a great skill set, you know, I was not very up to par in understanding contract law and negotiations and what it means to interpret things and uh, a lot of semantics that go into that. So um, at the time, I think I relate to a lot of 
young talent out there that just really wants their opportunity. They want to shoot their shot. And a part of me felt very uh, pressured in that if I didn't sign as is, or if I was combative in any way, I would miss out on the opportunity. And a number of other, you know, factors definitely was contributed during that time. But, you know, ultimately I went all in and I really trusted that I would be protected and taken care of. And I went on to, you know, do my job as a head wedding dress designer. And during that time, social media was not what it is now. I mean, at at that point, I was using Instagram as a photo app, you know, and posting my late nights out in New York. And I opened my account with, you know, what I thought was my personal account uh, with my birth date and my cell phone and texted boys and or DM'd boys, you know, and used yeah. it as a social platform. But of course, as my career grew, I, I invited people into that experience and I shared my work and my designs and slowly the platform, you know, grew into a much bigger thing. And uh, I was on a show called Say Yes to the Dress. And there were so many wonderful, beautiful chapters Um, but just because you can, you know, love your job and love moments of it, it doesn't mean you're not still dealing with a lot of, um, you know, potentially behavioral things or, uh, business ethics that, you know, maybe aren't aligned with your truth. And, um, my contract was a long-term contract. It was coming to an end and I felt like it was appropriate to renegotiate because there not only were circumstances that didn't exist at the time of signing that. I felt needed to be factored in, but there was a lot that I clearly did not fully understand. And, you know, I was met with what I would consider a very special form of harassment and um, difficulty and disagreement. And that obviously was very uncomfortable for me and traumatizing, but this also kind of overlapped with COVID happening and- (sighs) You know, there was this really fierce negotiation period, uh, in my opinion, it it was very scary, but, um, it resulted in my former employer actually suing me in federal court. And it was a blindside in a lot of ways for me because I was still working at the company when I received this lawsuit. And essentially it was over the rights to my name among other things. And my, what I thought was my personal social media account actually became a huge factor in this lawsuit. Wow. And um, obviously there was a lot building up to, to that moment, but uh, definitively I knew at that point, I personally could not, you know, stay in that environment. Yeah, I resigned out of, for many reasons, but, yeah. uh, but I, you know, I had to step away from my position as a head designer That's- and then yeah, I know that it's a lot. It's a, it's a long story. So I'm like the the background, you know, <laughs> yeah. story, short story. Yeah. But you know, from there we entered actually two. Uh, it's now been a two year litigation period. I'm still actively involved in it, and I am fighting for my rights. And this contract that I had signed at 25, you know, is what what a lot of the legal battle is over, and the interpretations of that, and you know, obviously my moral compass has always been, um, very much about being authentic and reaching people personally. And it does feel at this point, a lot of the contract has felt very weaponized. And, you know, at this point I cannot use my birth name in any business or commerce, nor can I even use it to publicly identify because there's a lot of overlap in social media and promotion. Then yeah. uh, I'm also not getting commission for the dresses that are still being manufactured, sold, and marketed, uh, which I believe the contract actually does give me a benefit of a commission. So I'm not getting that. And then um, the my former employer also cho- chose to bring my fiance into it. So he is also being sued for um, a version of trademark entri- infringement, but it's obviously very complicated. Yeah. And um, more recently... I was under the impression that so long as I did not use my name, I would actually be allowed to practice my trade once my, once my contract actually expired, which was in August of 2022. And a few days before that, um, a new ruling came through in which I'm under a five-year provision where I cannot identify to the trade as a designer in the categories that my former employer manufactures and sells, which essentially is wedding dress designing. So 
yeah, it's, it's pretty scary because when you really think about it as like a, okay, what's the theme here? Well, I cannot use my given name and I cannot practice my chosen trade. And it's one that, you know, I've spent my entire life dedicated to, you know, it's, it's scary when you think that it's all being defined to a period of time and dependent on this period of time, but it's like, Mm. I came out of the womb, you know, wanting to do dress design. It's been my lifelong dream. And so I went and did all my education in that. I did all of my industry experience, you know, and so I've had to move forward by changing my name and changing my trade. And that's where, you know, obviously the beautiful shoes have come in. Um, but I think too, it's, it's just, you know, it's a very interesting story, but I think a lot of people, when they hear it, you know, they want a solution, like, well, what's, Mm -hmm. how do we get through this? You know? And so for me, that's where the nonprofit came in to hopefully guide people. So. Sure. Sure. I mean, when I think of myself at 25 as a creative as well, like if anyone had put a contract in front of me, like for my craft, I would have signed that thing and not even like thought about, I would have been so excited. Right. Like, so yes. it's it is amazing um and the, and and the fact that now you you're having to redirect creatively um and you know your whole person and then find a way forward that is solutions oriented i mean that's quite a journey um yeah definitely a lot of limitations which can be really terrifying as a creative because you want to feel like you have this endless landscape mm-hmm. to create right and- Uh, you know, I just had to focus on my perspective, you know, in that focus on what you can do as opposed to what you can't, you know, but it would also be, I mean, understandable, like reinventing yourself. And I think, you know, all of us on this call have have done this not to the same degree (laughs) by any means, Um, but reinventing yourself is hard to begin with. And then to have, no other choice and to start from scratch. I mean, Alan, to your point too. Yeah. Like shit, I'm fucking 36 years old. And like, you know, we've had a lawyer for the business for the last couple of years since we moved to New York. But I mean, prior to that, I was reading all our contracts. I'm not a lawyer. Like, you know, oh, the, yeah. like I feel like there were some narrow escapes. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, when I got the contract for the book, I mean, you were the one that was like, have you read this thing? Like, were you just excited <laughs> about having a book? And I was like, I was like, In- indeed, Danielle, I'm just excited to have a book. You know, like, <laughs> I should read this thing, right? Like, right. Yeah. And I-, I mean, you know, I think that there will be there will obviously be a faction of people who will go like, well, you know, them's the breaks, like gotta read the contract. But I don't know. It's something that we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, When we're talking about digital ethics in particular, when it comes to like data and data privacy and things like that, the thing that I think about in this frame of mind is, you know, there is this wider conversation in the data ethics world around like, to what degree are brands responsible for making terms of service agreements understandable to the modern day consumer? That we sign contracts to use apps, to use software, to use things that track our location data every single day. And if we had any idea, a fifth of what was in there, I mean, you know, there is the argument that we would still choose the convenience, we would still choose to to be able to use the app, and that's fine. But there's a difference between being informed and being preyed upon. And that is the wider conversation is like, even if it's technically legal by the letter of the law, it doesn't mean it's not predatory as hell. I have had these exact, you know, thoughts in my brain, um, because obviously when you're in a federal lawsuit, you know, you just want to understand as much as you can. And from what I've known growing up is, oh, you know, if you are speaking from the truth, you will never have to remember a thing in your life because Mm -hmm. you'll just know that's the truth. That's what happened. And I find it really frightening when your experience and what you think is the truth is not being matched and what's actually happening in a legal environment. Mm. And it's also really hard to wrestle with the idea that you've potentially been painted inaccurately. And that's, you know, 
what is becoming a bigger part of the case, you know? And so mm-hmm. it, it it's scary, but um, I also feel like everyone has a responsibility to, you know, manifest their own destiny um, and an opportunity to do that, even when the circumstances are trying to hold them back or um, aren't working in their favor. And when you speak about like, you know, ethics, you know, what can legally happen versus is it really right though? Um, it creates a really interesting conversation. And I think it just yeah. needs to happen because holding co- corporations accountable to their behavior is, is something that I am very in support of, but I'm also a business person and I mm-hmm. understand the need for protecting proprietary information, you know, or protecting a trademark and why certain NDAs are very important. And I feel like there should be some synergy in those things, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what that answer is, but I know that by sharing my story and saying that, you know, while what happened to has happened to me, many people would have a hard time believing, but also think about the, is this really right? Is this the ethics of it? The bottom line is that it is possible. It is legal and it can happen. You would just hope that there will be more effort to um, secure the rights of artists and, and people who are vulnerable, really like that are, could be manipulated or could be subjected to behavior that is potentially predatory what you said there about like being a business owner as well like i also a business owner i've i've also wondered uh alan and kaylee will will know what i'm talking about here i've wondered how long it was going to take before our own like creative artist con ended up on the pod um but like we had a situation where we hired an artist to create original artwork for us and they were not ethical. They they used other people's work. They passed it off as their own. So yeah, you're right. Like there does need poorly. to be this poorly. Poorly. <laughs> they did it poorly. I'm if I can Kaylee zoom so in pissed. and see lines, horrible. <laughs> Kaylee feels what? very strongly. Wait, about so this. I'm confused. You hired an artist and then they went and hired another artist to do the art. Mm-hmm. Pass it off no, well. no. Uh, they copy and paste it like they. Yeah. They, so our oh our my podcast, god, like Photoshop. Yeah. No, I mean not even Photoshop. Not even it was Photoshop like, requires like I can't use Photoshop. I can use Canva, <laughs> and that's what they can use too. Uh, yeah. No, we actually we hired somebody. Uh, the the podcast cover art that you see. Uh, was done by our very own Kaylee Myers and was uh, also in Canva. Also in Canva. Uh, She did it in a time crunch because we had a date for launch and we had signed a contract with an artist like six weeks prior who was supposed to deliver the cover art uh, according to art that they had, uh, the style they had on their Instagram. And uh, what was delivered, we discovered, was cobbled together uh, stock imagery, not even stock photography, like stock like design work in Canva from like various other artists, like all overlaid on each other. Yeah. So uh, yes, I I agree. Like we need to have, you know, there needs to be like a modicum of responsibility for everybody coming to the table. And I think the bottom line there is just like, no predatory behavior. Yeah. Like in a, in a great world. Um, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you sharing all of that too. I mean, I, like I mentioned earlier, we've all been following you since before all of this and uh, it's been, you know, absolutely insane to watch it from the outside. And I'm sorry that, you know, having to live through this and, and still deal with the impact, still be in litigation out of curiosity. Are you in litigation in New York? Yes. Yeah, so I'm in the Southern district of New York. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was wondering about that because we're all originally from Denver and none of us live there now. I, I live in Brooklyn, but I know that New York, when it comes to things like no compete and whatnot is uh, very like business favorable sometimes. So yeah, was interested in that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm still learning a lot. I'm, there's a lot of state law that I think, especially in New York, the state law is oftentimes very favorable for employees um, oh. and competes and things like that. So I'm actually challenging or appealing the uh, five-year provision, which um, prevents me from identifying to the trade as a designer in the categories my former employer competes or manufacturer. Oh, wow. So we'll see how that goes. You know, I think it's important to stay in this as long as I can and, and fight back, you know, and fight for my rights where I can, but uh, it it can consume you. Uh, well, that's what I've realized about a lawsuit is like, I'd never been sued before, you know, I mean, aside from going through a divorce, which is technically a lawsuit, but that's like, it was like a whole nother different category, you know? Sure. It, it's just something else when I, when I tell people, yeah, I'm in a federal lawsuit. It's just nothing that you more. <laughs> right. Right. I feel like you win that. Never have I ever gained. Like, <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're either the only one that drinks or everybody else is drinking. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I wanted to I know that, Kaylee, you've done a little bit of background research just prior to our recording and prep for this about like this is this is not even necessarily a super unique situation. Unfortunately, like things like this have happened before with brands that are seeking to own somebody's name or their presence or their likeness or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit about just kind of what you learned in your research? Yeah, I was kind of digging into, or what I found within my research is specifically within the fashion industry where it's very common practice for the creator to be the name of the brand, you had a lot, you have a lot of situations where people lose the right to that brand and ultimately have to change their names um, in order to continue in any facet similar to Cheval. Um, I have a couple examples for the fashion industry. You have the House of Gucci, obviously, uh, which was founded by Gucci O Gucci in 1921, but they stayed under the family's control up until 1993, when the family was historically ousted from the label under Maurizio Gucci's due to his excessive spending, his debt. He was forced to sell 50% of the shares, which were all of the controlling shares for the family. Um, and that all happened two years before his death that played out in the movie House of Gucci. So there is, yeah, there is no family member in Gucci that participates within the brand anymore from that point. Hmm. You also have, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to use an accent. You have Terrier Mugler or Migler, (laughs) Migler. Sorry. I'm, I can't say it. It's Mugler. Um, lost control of his fashion label in 2010. I'm not even going to correct you. I feel like you should have enough options. (laughs) You're on your fucking own. (laughs) Anyway, after the purchase from Nicola Fermacetti in September of 2010, they changed the fashion label to just nuclear. Uh, now the designer calls himself Manfred and has only designed under the label for the 2019 Camp Met Gala for a Miss Kim Kardashian. That was the last time he has been associated with the brand. Danielle, put your face back. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I was just going to be like, you know, Manfred, I guess it's easier for you to pronounce. Manfred, (laughs) it was for me. (laughs) (laughs) For this moment. You also have a lot of situations where uh, the creators will just step down. Uh, Kate Spade famously, since her death, uh, when she passed away, was not in for she wasn't a part of the brand since actually 2007 so it had been through a couple owners uh once she had passed away similarly calvin klein and jill sander who stepped away three times from her brand they had all just stepped away from the brand no longer had any ownership or association with it uh then you have other brands where their founders have passed away oscar de la renta alexander mcqueen where those houses continue under owners uh different owners after their passing one non-fashion moment that i think is it's more petty which is why i love it 
But we're going to talk about Prince real quick. (laughs) Um, As one of Warner Brothers' top tier artists, selling millions of records worldwide and producing about one album a year between 1983 and 1993. Only one of those years he did not produce an album. Basically, Warner Brothers was not putting out any more albums because he was saturating the market with his own music. Uh, and so his- like a god <laughs> um, Prince historically changed his name in 1993 to the artist formerly known as or the artist or just the Egyptian symbol that you see all the time so that he could continue to release music uh, without having to pay Warner Brothers until 2000 when he reemerged and became back as Prince I have a quote from Prince, though, where he said, Prince is the name that my mother gave me at birth. Warner Brothers took that name, trademarked it, and used it in the main marketing tool to promote all the music that I wrote. So he was not going to produce any music under his name so that he did not have to pay Warner Brothers. And he actually, when he died, he has over 50 albums her 500 hours of music and projects that have not been released in a sealed vault including a documentary filmed by kevin smith that no one has seen and it is in his will that it will never be released what i did not know all that it is interesting to think of music too because mm-hmm. i was thinking like with credence clearwater or something with that guy wrote all that music that guy uh, me and pop culture <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like oh yeah Lady Gaga owns Gucci but like um, <laughs> but uh yeah like he didn't have the rights to his own music for like 20 some years got no money from it because the the like producers or what whoever the fuck does that shit owned it mm-hmm. and that is so wild to think of as an artist your creation not owning it like you know you put a creation out and it's not necessarily yours anymore um but to literally not have it any control over it is wild cheval i know your foundation um you you work with these you know with artists and 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 help you know help in terms of like their protections their self-protections how many of them do you see that are musicians Actually, a lot. Um, it happens from my start in the foundation, which we launched on International Women's Day. It's really been eclectic because you have influencers who are signing contracts where brands don't want them to work with other brands in that category. Like if it's a hair product or a beauty product, you know, they do like a six month exclusivity. And then we've got artists, mainly songwriters in, you know, how they contribute, but then, you know, the artist sings it or an artist would sing it, you know, how do they get their rights and credits taken into account or, or if it's monetary Mm -hmm. too. And then you also have like people who are talented in the culinary industry, um, chefs, you know, when they become famous on television, but then they want to go over to a restaurant. It's really interesting. And it it happens across industries, um, even fitness too. And then you also have people who are battling non-competes, which I think I'm, I feel a little bit more strongly about because it's one thing if you're in an industry where there's real trade secrets, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's something proprietary about it, but with art, you know, it's not really a trade secret. It's not something that like you can really put in that category. So Mm -hmm. I have a really hard time understanding why you would not want the best people participating, you know, right. In the sense where it's like, we're going to withhold somebody's talent. I have a hard time rationalizing why, because if it's going to benefit an industry and on a whole or bigger level, you know, wouldn't you want them to be practicing their craft or their skill and, and contributing to society? You know, it, there's obviously a much bigger conversation here. And these are just my opinions, Um, you know, separate from everything that's happened to me. I just feel, you know, you do want to encourage people to create and to work. And, you know, for me, like I did have a moment of grief where I was like, I literally have to say goodbye to something that, you know, I have really dedicated my life to, but also just depended on. And I found a sense of self in. 
but you know, you, you got to reach further, you know? So that's kind of what I did. It's, it is the situation. It's what happened. You digest it and, and you try to move on and apply your skill set. You know, what does it look like now if it's being expressed differently? Right. This might be the dumbest thing that anybody's ever said on this podcast. I don't understand why corporations do things we don't like. Um, but like, like just genuinely though, and, and generally speaking, from a brand perspective, thinking about how when you have a brand, you have to think about its reputation. You have to engender confidence in that brand from the people who are going to patronize that brand. You want to build loyalty to the brand. You want to ultimately build positive sentiment about that brand. There are some industries where it's like, I feel like the entire airline industry just is in a constant state of fuck you to the American consumers because they know we all have to fly anyway, right? So they're like, whatever. No, no airline is going to advertise on our podcast. I've guaranteed it now. You had an <laughs> in and you ruined it. If there's one thing you take away, just know that we will have so many brands <laughs> at the end of this podcast's journey uh, that will never advertise for them. <laughs> But like you, you are working to build positive sentiment. And yeah, if you're in an industry where they have to use you anyway, I guess you can sort of get away with being shitty. But like you hire influencers, you hire human representatives to build those things to be a part of them, you hire them to personify the brand. So we know because we know about Prince, because we know about how Kesha was in this fucking like musical prison. We know about how Taylor Swift has flipped the bird to everybody and gone out and re-released her shit. We know that these things happen. And we also know super not popular with consumers when corporations exercise this so when there is this eventual separation and there always is that's how life goes you know you you die or you leave or whatever happens the fans the audience they typically like or dislike the person that you've hired to personify your brand so it does not make sense to me as somebody who advises brands on how to engender confidence trust positive sentiment it does not make sense to me why a brand would want to keep a chokehold on a persona, on a name, on a presence. Like what good does it even do? If you can't even keep the comments on your social platforms turned on mm-hmm. to include the platform that you're fighting so hard to keep, have you really won anything? Like at the end of the day, has the brand really built any of these feel goods? Give a girl the right pair of shoes and she can conquer the world. When Cheval started, she is Cheval. She was needing a fresh start, an outlook of responsible optimism and a determination to run against the wind. There's nothing that pairs better with reinvention than a perfect shoe so you can put your best foot forward. In honor of her episode on Target Snarket, Cheval wants to provide this episode's listeners with the right pair of shoes to help them conquer their goals. When you visit sheisshaval.com, S-H-E-I-S-C-H, eval.com and use code targetsnarket you'll receive 10% off any pair of her impeccably designed shoes and honestly i must say if you haven't seen cheval's collection you'll die my personal faves are the did my heart no love till now heels and i swear to god if i don't see one of my femme friends in them soon i'll rethink all my relationships with them Again, that's Target Snarket, T-A-R-G-E-T-S-N-A-R-K-E-T at sheisshaval.com for 10% off so you can have the confidence you need to stand up for your creativity. Now get shopping. Discuss. I mean, it's a very, uh, I'm just absorbing everything you're, you're saying. And, um, you know, I wholeheartedly sentimentally agree with that opinion, and I, I actually really spent time playing devil's advocate in this because it's, it was important for me to understand the motivation behind it. And I realized I will never understand it. And 
you know, as I'm building a whole new business and reinventing and doing all these things, I think I just keep it in the front of my mind of how I want to operate as a business. And these things that I actually Mm -hmm. believe in on a moral level are so important in how we operate our business. Mm -hmm. You can't just have a good product anymore. You can't have just a best-selling product unless maybe you're in the market of like something that doesn't really need to be branded you know, like maybe an essential good, but but it's so hard. Like there's just too much competition now. There's too many products out there in every single category. And because of that, the focus on the experience and how people feel when they choose your brand is paramount. And that relationship is where you're going to find your most growth as a brand. And you're going to get the best feedback in how you serve people. You know, because ultimately that's what this is all about. It is about serving people. Like sales gets such a bad rap than the word sales. It's it's serving, you know. And even though I've been through an experience that I, you know, has been traumatizing, I am grateful because it has taught me what I want to be moving forward. And not that I needed to potentially go through that. I think I just found more of myself actually, which is weird when I can't use my own name. You know, there's a very weird paradox there. But going back to your point, I just think we are still in a transition phase, like society in general, business in general. If you really look at it optimistically, things are getting better. Things are becoming more accountable. People are aware that anything you do could potentially have negative circumstances, like even with social media. You know, if you say something wrong and it's interpreted wrong, it can be used against you. And so we're now all kind of rising up to a level in which we do have to be thoughtful about how we treat people in business and also how we carry ourselves, which I think puts a lot more pressure on on it all, but it's ultimately a very good thing. so I know I didn't fully answer your question, but I, but I feel like that's kind of the the bigger picture way of looking at it. I actually just finished listening to an episode of our podcast from when I was gone, uh, when Kaylee and Alwyn uh, interviewed a, a market researcher from Mintel. Uh, and I want to, I want to ask them about that in just a second, but I, I also feel like people are going to listen to me ask that question about the feel goods and they're going to go, well, it's the data dummy. And like, yeah, I fucking know that because I'm a goddamn professional, but like, (laughs) even so, even if, because you had prior to all of this happening, millions of followers. Yes. Yes. Over. Yeah. So, so I get not wanting to lose that. I I understand that as a brand. I understand wanting to be like, no, there are followers now because you did this while you were here with us and there are followers now. But then change the goddamn name. Like change the fucking name. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me to continue to operate with a name that you insist on owning when every Everybody knows and you, again you can't even turn on the comments like it, it doesn't make any sense when there is a way to still collect and use that data and give you your goddamn name back mm-hmm. well i mean it depends though if people do know because there will be people sure. who know but there will be people who don't i mean i didn't know about the gucci thing until i saw a movie yeah about it and that how many years later was that sure you know so yeah yeah but I do think to Cheval's point it's like there we are in this transition period and like 20 years ago nobody would have gave a shit you know but now people are giving more of a shit and this stuff is coming to light faster and we have more technology to spread the good word (laughs) of like Mm -hmm. hey this is going on and it sucks right so yeah I I think that that's a really interesting, interesting thing. I like the positive outlook you have, Cheval, because we have talked about this a lot. Like, is uh, is business getting better? Can business get better when capitalism is a hellfire? Like, are you know? But obviously, our podcast is poised to say yes, or we wouldn't be having these conversations. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a little 
negative um, feeling just when, you know, there's the justice doesn't seem to add up. Uh, but the social media element is really unique. Uh, mm. While it's it's been fast moving, there's really not a lot of case law for, you know, district courts and court systems to refer to, 100%. you know, so, so what they're being told, you know, in a legal case through the documents and all this stuff, you know, they have to decipher and there's not a lot of, of things to refer to. And, you know, in the beginning, when, when I had to hand over my passwords, I very much felt so violated on a privacy level. Yeah. And it, it felt like a visceral, I felt a visceral reaction to it because I really valued my relationships to people. And, um, while I'm, I can be a social person, I really enjoy social media because you can connect to people on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like it was really easy to show up there and feel like this person is my friend, even though I don't know them, but I have this connection yeah. and greater, or this person's actually purchasing a dress that I designed and appreciating it, you know, there, there was like a really special connection there. And so when a corporation started posting to the account without providing information that I was no longer behind it, that's mm -hmm. where I felt like the experience was, um, was tarnished. Mm -hmm. And yeah. as sad as it, it <laughs> felt, I also realized that a social media platform is social. And if you are really not being authentic and showing up, it is going to show, you know, and like, from my experience, that's what I've seen. I feel like you can't really pull a veil over people's eyes that easily. Right. And while, yeah, of course there's people that still don't know to this day, uh, like what has gone on. I really do give a lot of credit and intelligence to the community that I once had, you know, totally. with, and they are also the ones that came to battle for me in terms of just wanting me to feel supported and find a way forward. And, uh, you know, they're, they're the reason I am here right now being able to speak on it because it gave me confidence to move forward. But, um, social media is such an interesting world. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, with our foundation, we want to figure out ethically, what is the best way to position yourself? Because when you do have a brand, but you want to connect to somebody, that's where the humans become involved, right? Like you, right. human to human. And then you start to tie the brand to the human, you know, and as you had mentioned before, it's just, you know, can you really draw a line in the sand? No, but I feel like you have to be responsible with how you operate and be transparent, you know, and hopefully that's, we can get to that level mm -hmm. by having more of these conversations, but also having checks and balances in place where, let me tell you about the, you know, red flags you should look at in a contract. Let me get you in front of a, an attorney you can afford. And if you can't afford one, you know, let me help you try to find somebody, you know, right. all that kind of stuff I think is important just in terms of your personhood and, your art, and then also your connection to people. Right. So I have to admit, I have been telling a lot of people that you were coming on the podcast. I was very excited. Um, it was a topic at Easter brunch. <laughs> I, had, um, I had a neighbor who was talking to me about how her daughter is in school for designing of some sort. And it's actually part of the curriculum to create your brand in college. If you were wanting to go in a certain like design element or a certain avenue within fashion or design. And so it's kind of interesting that I know when I was in business school, almost 10 years ago now, I had a class about LinkedIn. My LinkedIn page is solid because I have a <laughs> class in it. Like, but now you have kids that are being taught, whether it's in a creative avenue, a fashion avenue, that it's if you want to join the industry, you have to have a social media. You have to start doing all of this. Do you find in your foundation you have a lot of students you're reaching out to, or is it mainly adults? No, it's both. It's young mm -hmm. youth and it's also um 
people that have been in an industry for a long time and are afraid to leave because of a non-compete. I mean, it, it really is eclectic in that way, which I appreciate because obviously it's very specific in, in my con, like it's all specific to the contract. Like what does the contract say and how, how, what happened, you know, all that stuff. And everybody has a different experience, but I really appreciate the fact that young students are starting to think this early about Mm -hmm. their journey. And it is a little scary to feel like you have to define yourself at that point in your life because you're going to evolve so much, mm-hmm. you know, and like yeah. I even think about the Instagram that I always felt was my personal that I had to turn over, you know, like what I was posting in the first few years versus later, you know, it's just like, I was posting cat memes, you know, and yeah. like, <laughs> I don't like that. for Facebook to remind me what I did yeah. back in 20, like <laughs> 12, not. 2007. Fucking I'm like, filters. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I don't yeah, like, right. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know her at all. Borders? <laughs> you remember borders? Like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, when you think about how far it's kind of progressed, it can be a little frightening. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, what is social, social media going to be like in 10 years? And, you know, maybe part of this conversation too, that's worth, um, continuing is, you know, how can actual social media platforms be better in their terms and services on protecting mm-hmm. artists and brands and, you know, being involved in situations like this, like I would be very curious to get Mark Zuckerberg's opinion on like what I have gone through, you know, and like looking at it from start to finish, like I would, that like, that would be on my three wishes of a genie. I think of like, I would love to get the hot take because, you know, I think when a, when a platform is created and then it grows into something bigger than, you know, how do you define something like that? And for even the youth going into perfecting their LinkedIn's and getting on social media, you know, we just want them to know, like, this should be yours, that you should own this. And this should not be something you compromise while you are chasing down your big dreams and while you're getting employed. And I think there's also a bigger conversation about, uh, utilizing employees to influence brands you know, like in the sense of, I had a girlfriend that worked at a big magazine publication and the way she dressed and carried herself, it was all very beneficial to the magazine, you know, and it almost became like an expectation of the magazine for her to continually be promoting and, and doing all this stuff. And like, it got to a point where she was like, you know, I'm not an influencer for this brand, I would like my contract to reflect that. And I want to be paid as an influencer and the the magazine had no problem doing that, you know? And so like, I think that's good ethics because they realized you're valuable beyond just a writer for our business. Mm -hmm. You, your personhood should be compensated. And I I thought that was a nice story. I was like, that's what should happen. You know, you shouldn't have to post and show up and do these things just because you're employed. It should be strictly put in your contract. It goes beyond just like a marketing tool. It is literally somebody's labor that's required mm-hmm. to do that. Right. So Danielle, right. for I getting fucking reposted. knew it. I fucking knew it. I like literally, I almost, I Did almost I put you like, in a trap. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you were, you were saying like, you know, and, and like, that's good ethics. I was like, fuck, don't say that because I, I know we're going to get famous. And this bitch, Alan, is going to be like, so I kind of feel like I'm sort Where's of. Where's my money? As well. Like, Look, I, I was reposted it, right? twice last oh week. Um, <laughs> and that was pretty funny what I put like, on Slack. First of all, I posted. I'm so, pressing the button. Okay. okay I said the and, and I'm making the graphics. Like, <laughs> but there could so, obviously be benefits too. Yeah. I mean, in the case of when you're at a company and you really love the company and you love the product and you just want people to know about it and you share it, you know, at your leisure, you know, it, it, that's what, that's a different thing. I think when Mm -hmm. it, when it's the company's expectation and it's saying, Oh, we want you to be posting twice a week or, 
whatever amount and we want to approve right. your posts and all this, you're getting into an influencer deal. Like that's right. a totally separate thing, you know? And I think that's where, um, you know, I want to educate the youngins of like, this is, this is where you should probably fight for yourself a little bit more and stand up and make sure that you're not actually working for free and doing all this stuff at the expectation that, you know, it, it's not a, a whole job in itself. I mean, mm-hmm. Oh, I experience social media fatigue quite often now. And yeah, you know, it is, it is a lot of work. So a hundred percent for, for all of us, like uh, we've all uh, had stints working in social media for, you know, the last decade or so. And I think we all go in cycles on the yeah. fatigue of it. I, you know, I always look at this and like, when I try to tell people like, oh yeah, no, I like, I own a consulting firm and we consult for like fortune 100 brands and you know here's all the logos on our roster they'll go to my instagram and they're like bitch you have fewer than a thousand followers like what have you been talking about i'm like oh no i don't do any of that on my personal (laughs) like like my personal page is like selfies and my dog and and that's it you know that's refreshing right I, I think that it, you know, Kaylee, what you were talking about with like the the college piece and and learning how to build that brand and, and Cheval, what you were just saying there, I feel like I'm seeing this idea everywhere lately. I've seen people write about it in Forbes and Inc. and Fast Company. The list really goes on that every person, regardless of who you are or the work you do, every person is a quote unquote brand. And there's a part of me that's like, I understand the reality of that to an extent. But there's also like, I don't know, maybe it's because I read too much dystopian fiction and it feels like dangerously close to like the personification of brands, which I'm not super in favor of. Like, I get that just because every person is a brand doesn't mean that like corporations are people, but like try convincing everybody of that, I guess. Uh, but, But when we start conflating the two, I think it gets kind of fuzzy and you know, while I think it's influencer marketing was really uh, born out of, uh, I think, a few things. One, that we we trust humans to review things. It's why we trust reviews. And also, too, you know, like everybody's got an equal platform. They can do with it what they want. The, the humans as ads, like living your entire life as an advertisement like I want to be TikTok famous, but that sounds fucking exhausting. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I find myself when I am a user as opposed to like a creator that I feel exhausted by the content because mm-hmm. so much of it is like, what am I watching? You know, and it's like it's not really adding value. I mean, there's some entertainment to it, of course. But the amount of effort and time that goes into it from the person creating, like obviously with like mad respect that they have the time and they they see value in it. But I just start to realize that at some point, I think the pendulum is going to swing back to more purposeful and like high quality content, which I, I could like, this could be the unpopular opinion because everyone's like, no, everyone wants real and everyone like TikTokers and Gen Z and like, they all just want you like no makeup and all this stuff. And like, I understand the value of that, but I also feel like it's almost like content overload. And there's this expectation where you have to be like documenting your life as if it's a reality show. Mm-hmm. And I think what worries me about that is, you know, where are you finding that you're living your life, you know? and like. Right. It it can it can be misleading, I think, for a lot of people to think, you know, this is where you're gonna make all this money. And, you know, if you just create content every day, you're gonna start getting brand deals and all this. And I actually don't agree with that. I don't feel like everybody wants to do that and pushing people into feeling like they need to be entertaining, they need to be funny, they need to be posting three times a day. It's like, let's start to normalize doing what works for you. <laughs> As right. opposed, like even in branding too, because like, I know you need to be on social and you need to be engaging with your consumer. But when it's this forced thing that almost feels like it comes from the platform telling you to do right. that, like the algorithm, that's when I feel like the algorithm is messing up, you know? And like, let's make sure we're still living full lives outside of social media and not feeling like we have to pressure people into doing it or put this expectation on it. 
Cause that's worrisome that like everyone yeah. is, a brand. not everyone wants to be a brand, you no. know, like my fiance actually used to be hugely into content making and, you know, fitness and influencing and all that. And he's completely flipped the script on his life. I mean, he's in real estate now and investing and could care less about posting unless, you know, he, he feels inspired, you know, and it's like right. so freeing because it's, you know, like you kind of relinquish that pressure. So I don't right. know. Well, and and this is something that our team has talked about internally too, you know, this idea that not even just that everyone should be a brand, but also this sort of like, like starry eyed promise that by creating all this content and doing all this organic work, you will eventually go viral and you will eventually be famous. It feels like the MLMification of like content creation that like all you have to do is this exact formula and boom, profit. And that's not true in mm -hmm. any capacity. We've worked with so many brands, um, you know, in, in our organization, uh, everything that we did before this as well, so many brands that have never had a viral moment ever at all. And you can create the right content every single day and never experience that. So yeah. there is like that, that facade, that lie that's there, but like you're talking about with your fiance, like I, I get it. I feel like Alan, you and I talked about this when we had our, our first failed pod that never actually launched. Like we were exhausted by the fame that we hadn't yet achieved. Like, <laughs> like I don't know if I can do this. I need to. I'm not being famous. <laughs> like, I, I need to check myself into a hospital. I'm very concerned about the comments that we don't have yet, but they will come, and I'm all I'm pre-exhausted. Like, oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> well, um, and Kaylee and I talked about going viral and we talked about how like, yeah, some will never go viral, but you might re reach the right audience and still be successful. Or right. like we've all had viral moments here on social media and we're not like big household names. Like I've had a viral <laughs> TikTok, right? But that doesn't mean like all of a sudden I'm super success bot. It's that's not how it works. You're right. There is no formula. Why are you I, laughing? I had a tweet that went viral. I went viral. Pandemic. You said five times. Right, like I was like, I went viral. Also, like I did it. Like I, I said all of us. I said no, all of yeah. us here. I we the also talk connection. about like it can be super overwhelming to see that come in super fast. Amin and I both have been like, I hate this. Like, why, why are people looking at this? Like, right. Well, I think part of that is that you're both Sagittarius's and you desire to be perceived and then immediately hate it, <laughs> which like I get on some level. Is the fucking, I, don't like... stereotype me in front of my new friend. <laughs> <laughs> So I do want to, uh, you know, Cheval, I know that we were talking about like what we were going to cover on the pod, something that you were pretty passionate about that I know we seriously related to was like, you know, this is my past. Like this was a problem, you know, it still is an ongoing battle, but now I'm part of creating the solution. And we prize that here, you know, yes, we talk a lot of shit, uh, but the shit talk is like the prelude to the solution, right? So um, I would love if you could give us a rundown of your foundation and uh, talk about what you feel like solutions look like in that space. And then also, I know we prepped you for this, we do like to give people action items because we're so focused on solutions and because we have sort of this like faction of our listeners that are really like brand business marketing and we also i mean all of us are consumers and we have people who are know nothing about the marketing world at all but really like to to listen as consumers i'm really curious about the the solutions that your foundation is creating and what you feel like in your experience with the foundation some good action items would be for our listeners to start to have an impact uh, in this particular space with this particular problem. For our foundation, the main mission is really uh, to safeguard the interests of young creatives, you know? And so within that general statement, there's a lot of things we hope to do with curriculum, um, confidence, and just like negotiation tips. Uh, providing access to pro bono or affordable legal counsel, 
Um, and so we're really building out our foundation, right? Foundation, pun intended, but like the foundation <laughs> of it. Um, and, you know, and how we do want to show up. And I think when you have a business, but you have a philanthropic arm, um, you want to make sure that things are, are really kept very separate, but the sentiment in how we're operating and like, again, the ethics behind it is all very aligned. Um, because I do fully believe that you can be a successful person and have a moral compass and treat people well and have a really joyful culture. I think integrity is everything and, and how you treat people says so much about you. And I, that's kind of what we're doing for both things, but, um, more specifically the foundation, which, what has been so unique is that I've had so many attorneys, uh, from all stages of attorneyhood, you know, reach out <laughs> to me and say, I'm following your case, you know, very closely. And I believe in what you're doing. And I think this is very needed. And, you know, it's been really remarkable to have that kind of support and advocacy because I don't, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? And I think when I am such a trustworthy person and I really believe in good people and that most people are inherently good, that can sometimes get you into hot water. And while I've learned a lot, I didn't go to law school. And so I really value that we're bringing in these experts and people that want to help and essentially be working for free, you know, just to make sure that people feel protected, you know? So that's, that's where the foundation, um, I think is going to shine. And like, I'm learning as I go, but I couldn't really imagine moving forward with my life without actually giving back because I, again, would not be here if I didn't have the support that I have, the support system. And so like the idea of me being the support for someone else is so motivating, you know, and like, giving the secrets away. Like I am very much of that. Like tell people the things that will help them, <laughs> you know, like you're not going to help the world by harboring all your goodness, you know, like give it away, you know, like sprinkle it out. So I like that mentality and I like the abundance, the more is more type. Um, I believe in like really good competition and I love the collaborative nature of our world right now. I love when brands collaborate, it, even in the same industry. I love that. I think that's really special that we're all rising. You know, it's like a rising tide rises all boats. So um, I, I like that. Uh, for the actionable items, I really thought about what I could say here. And I think so much of it is circumstantial in like, looking at your situation. And so without being too general, I would say that if you are in a current uh, work environment where you're experiencing fear or you're, you're seeing something, but you're not saying something, um, you feel like you're not able to like reach your true potential. I think it's, you owe it to yourself to have a brainstorming session and to really think about what you want out of life and like what you, you feel you can contribute. I'm not a big fan of like quitting your job without having something else like lined up, Sure, um, but, but I do think you owe it to yourself to, to take a stance, you know, and like just in a general perspective, like if, if there is something you're fearful of or you're witnessing behavior you don't like, I think you need to make sure your company has an HR department and that you put an action in place to protect yourself and, you know, you owe it to yourself. That's so I'll say that's one action item. I hope that's not too general. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Other one is find yourself a really good mentor because you can really invest all this time in every business book, you know, listening to motivational speakers, whatever it is, you know, and like, I'm a huge podcast listener. Like I love listening to podcasts and that's actually really helped me progress in life in so many ways. Um, but few things have really compared to finding a good mentor and that I was blessed with one from actually the start of my lawsuit. And I think because they have full context and they're invested in your true well-being, 
and they're not threatened, there is a really special amalgamation of things that can happen, you know, and it gives you like a whole new perspective on life and also the way you show up and how the game is played because you get a deck of cards, right? You're dealt what you're dealt, but it's, it's, you can't trade your cards. You gotta, you gotta learn how to play the cards, you know, and, and play the person or the situation behind that and having a good mentor certainly helps. So I'd say that's action number two. Cool. I think, you know, one thing that seems to be evergreen for us on this pod is mindful and curious consumerism is, you know, like understand where you're giving money to, you know, understand, like make sure too that that companies value the the people that you like that are their brand representatives, you know, understanding um, a little bit more about that. And also, I, I mean, like I know that maybe the average the average employee can't necessarily dictate what's in a a legal contract to an influencer. But I think that, you know, for many of our listeners who are in charge of of finding influencers for marketing, um, I think having a serious conversation about the, you know, what is predatory, what is overreach, what is excessive, what do you actually need from uh, from an influencer and uh, how can brands treat human beings as human beings as opposed to commodities, right? Like that's, I, I think where part of that overreach comes in too. So yeah, I, I appreciate uh, all of the conversation that you've been able to, to to give us here today. It's been a pleasure to get in to get to sit and talk with you. We're so grateful that you took the time to tell us your story, uh, to talk about how we can all work towards solutions together. Uh, Cheval, thank you so much. I I do want to plug, she is Cheval, beautiful shoes, and uh, a Girl You Might Know Foundation. Definitely, um, for those of us, or for those of you who are listening, uh, check out that website and really work around, or work through the website and, and take a look at, at the, the kind of work that Cheval and her foundation are doing. It feels like that foundation, I feel like I should see it a lot more and I feel like I will see it a lot more as time goes on, especially with you know influencer marketing uh, being you know, continuing to be on the rise. Like I said, for our, our listeners, uh, definitely take a look at that website and, and share where you can. Uh, Thank you for our listeners and viewers at home. We hope you've learned very valuable lessons on how to protect yourselves, on how to protect artists, how to behave ethically when working with artists, and uh, have gained some more interesting insight that you can, I don't know, casually share with a stranger the next party you go to. That's really why we do this, right? Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to like and subscribe. Tell all your friends. Uh, or if you don't like it that much, tell your enemies instead. That's fine too. And uh, we'll see you all again next week. Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital, that's B-R-O-A-D dot digital, or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snark It. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 